Hey everyone, welcome to The Meaning of the Movie, our podcast about what matters most when it comes to the film. I am your host, Rob Stinnett, and I'm here with my co-host, Andrew Harmon. Andrew, what's up? Oh, I'm doing good. We are recording at night tonight for the first time uh, to talk about some Oscars. We are, and Andrew, I have some bad news for you. Okay. Don't Look Up did not win Best Picture. I'm so shocked. I know, I'm that not. was our movie. <laughs> that was our, I mean, honestly, I did not think it should have won Best Picture. I, I was glad to have it nominated, even though, like, I don't know if you noticed, but in all the claps that would show the things, it's like, Power of the Dog, and I was like, yay! And then Don't Look Up came up, and it was like one clap, I was like, clap. <laughs> <laughs> even even in the in the jokes, they were like, clearly you did not look up the reviews for this film. <laughs> <laughs> just like it was just there we're, we're still the one people defending don't look up you can listen yeah. to that episode if you want i think it's but, i think it's top 10 movies of the year for sure i do i think it's better than some of these nominees but let's get right to it best picture was just announced what did you think of the best picture win so here's the thing going into i knew we were we were podcasting tonight i was a little bit behind on my oscar films so over the last 72 hours i have been binging every oscar movie that i thought was like in the top tier of winning important awards so that we could talk about it tonight. And I did not get Dakota because I did not think there was a hair's breadth chance that that was going to happen. Um, so uh, I have not seen it. So I don't even know. Um, and it kind of, I mean, it's weird for me to have an opinion having not seen the movie, but I'm, I'm honestly shocked. It's one. So a couple things about Coda one and you guys can fact check this. This is a live reaction, not Tons of time to research for this. But from what I understand, it had the least amount of nominations to win a Best Picture film since a film that came out in like 1932 or something like that. Like normally the best, like we did Titanic on this podcast, right? It had, right. what, 13, 14 nominations. You know, right. like normally the film that wins Best Picture has this slew of nominations. And so for Coda to be nominated for Screenplay and then Best Supporting Actor... Like, it wasn't even in the top five, which are, you know, best director, best supporting, best actor, best actress. Like, none of those it had. It just had two kind of random Oscars and then was right. in the best picture. And a lot of people said it probably wouldn't have made the top five if it was, like, in the old format. Right. But it just won best picture. And it it's pretty shocking. Which, which means I'm absolutely going to go see it. So, here's what I will say. I loved that movie uh, deeply. It's, like... This we should do an episode on it, and I, I think we probably will after you see it. But when I say feel good movie, like that's literally what this is. It is a feel good movie, and what's so interesting is if you follow the betting odds of what was out there, Power of the Dog was the slam dunk, like it was the front runner. But then all of a sudden, these other ones started like peaking up, and Coda started to get more and more traction over these last couple of weeks. To where by the time it came to the Oscars, there was a real chance. Like, I don't know if you know this, but you can actually bet on the Oscars. <laughs> There's gambling odds. I, I did not know that, but have no trouble believing it. I know. <laughs> we are a bunch of degenerates <laughs> as human beings. And so, yeah, you can bet on Oscars. And Coda was like a 30 to 1, 50 to 1, something like that. But over the last few weeks, it's been going up and up because it won the Producers Guild, I believe. It won some other things that all of a sudden was really like giving it momentum to where going into tonight, tonight, it really had a chance. That's 
really cool. I mean, it's and the fact that it was like a feel good film and not like a dark cautionary tale, which is so often what we see in Oscar land these days um, is actually really nice. Um, Yeah, you always think of like these dark kind of brooding pieces or like think pieces or social commentary but this is just like a movie about the power of family the movie the um it's literally a story about what it means to have your daughter go to college like that's literally what's at stake so this is not high stakes or anything else like that but it's um so heartwarming it's really thoughtful my wife kind of hates this movie because it's a remake of a french film okay um that was literally remade of many of the same People were involved. That's why it's an adapted screenplay. And so my wife is like, okay, it's a French film. It doesn't get any love. But now that it's an American film, we're falling all over it. So she has a problem with that a little bit. But like, I'm just telling you, it is such a feel good movie. It's really smart. There's some great moments in it. And to me, I think this is why I like the Oscars, because it gives a movie like this, which just would kind of come and go. All of a sudden, everyone's talking about it. Everyone's going to be... Like, what is Coda? Like, Apple TV subscriptions are going to bounce way up. I mean, it's a huge <laughs> win for Apple TV, right? That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, if there's a, if there's a winner tonight, it's Apple TV, right? That's, that's, that's my uh, cynical take number one for the evening. Um, yeah, I mean. Andrew's hot cynical take. Yeah, Apple TV wins. Sundance, you know, wins. Like, uh, Coda comes out of Sundance. Right. You know, gets bought there, and then all of a sudden wins Best Picture. Like, what an unlikely underdog story. That's true. What going into this did you think was going to win Best Picture? Like, for you, should have won Best Picture, right? Like, you were talking about the odds being heavily in favor of Power of the Dog. But, like, my guess is you've seen most of the 10. Like, what were what were you sitting here being like, this is, this is the one? So here, <laughs> I wrote out a sophisticated answer to this question because I thought about it a lot. Are you ready for me to deep dive nerd into this question? I would expect nothing less of you, sir. Okay, so here's my answer to this, which is... There are three types of best picture years. There is what I call the slam dunk year. And so that's when like Silence of the Lambs, The Godfather, even Parasite, No Country for Old Men. They're a movie that like everyone unanimously loves. And it's like, this is the slam dunk for it to win. And then the second type of best picture year is the You Got Robbed year, which is like Shakespeare in Love comes out of nowhere and wins over Saving Private Ryan. Forrest Gump beats Pulp Fiction. Dances with Wolves beats Goodfellas. The King's Speech beats Social Network. You know, these are movies where it's like, there was a movie that's like, ah, this is clearly the best picture. And then a movie kind of comes out of nowhere and like knocks it down. And then there's the third type of year, which is, hey, a pretty good picture year. And and in this year, it's like, this type, there's no clear winner. Mm -hmm. And I feel like 2013 was kind of like this, where it was like Silver Linings Playbook and Lincoln and Zero Dark Thirty. And then Argo wins. And Argo is a is a great picture. I mean, I mean, I liked that movie. It was another like, I wouldn't say feel good, but it's like an audience. It's it's like fun, compelling. It's Ben Affleck, you know, it, uh, has all those sort of things. And it just kind of comes out of nowhere and wins Best Picture. And I feel like that's what this year's category was, where it was like there was a bunch of pretty good pictures. But I don't know if ten years from now, five years from now, there's any of these movies that we're gonna be like, oh, I can't believe Coda won. And this movie over here should have won. Like, I don't think that's what it was. What about you? Did you have one that you're like, this was mine that meant the most to me? I feel like the one that I wanted to win was West Side Story. 
when I heard that Spielberg was remaking that, it was one of those moments where I was like, what a horrible idea, like remaking one of the most iconic films of all time. And like, I've got a lot of faith in Spielberg, like the man's a genius, but like, oof, like why even do this? You've never even directed a musical before. Why would you remake something so iconic? You're setting it in the same era. You don't have a new take on it. Like what? And the original West Side Story is like an icon of cinema. And I think that what Spielberg made is far and away superior. It's such a better movie than the original West Side Story in almost every respect. To me, probably the new watermark for what a movie musical can be. I think for the last 20 years, it's been Chicago. And there's been other movies that have come along and been like, oh, that was a fun movie musical or oh, that kind of worked. But like West Side Story did something so moving in the way that it used all of the tools in the cinema playbook from costume to production design to acting, singing, dancing, even like mixing dancing and stunts so that it was a dancing musical, but you actually felt like the fight scenes were dangerous. The cinematography is, is beautiful. Like the new screenplay that they wrote for it, it's a totally new script, was such an upgrade from what the one that they've had on Broadway for years. I mean, it's like it's to me, it's like almost a perfect movie and it like got no love tonight at all, <laughs> which like kind of bums me out. Um, I felt like maybe because it was like a Spielberg thing or there was controversy behind the leading actor, Ansel Elgort, or there was no like clear star of the picture that it felt like people kind of started sleeping on it pretty quick, even though to me it was like pretty much a perfect movie. So I saw West Side Story last night. Okay. I had not seen it until last night. And I had a similar feeling from you of like, ah, it's fine. We've already done that. That movie already won Best Picture. And then I was even rolling my eyes a little bit. I was like, what's more 2022 than a reboot of a movie that already won Best Picture winning Best Picture again? Like, right. like what's more 2022 than that? And bro, I'm telling you, you are right about West Side Story. You're <laughs> usually wrong on this podcast, but on this one... <laughs> On this one, you were slam dunk right. That movie is fire, bro. It is so good. That scene where they meet under the bleachers and it's like Spielberg lens flare city and they're looking at each other and that the scene on the balcony, just the camera work all around it. It, It's amazing. It is breathtaking. Every scene worked in a new way that it hadn't worked before. I mean, even like the script, the way that they updated it to really speak about the tensions of what it means to be an immigrant in a way that's much more sophisticated than what the original script was able to capture back in the 50s or 60s when it was written. It's such an elevated version of this thing that already won Best Picture. It kind of, (laughs) it bums me out that it felt like we sort of slept on it all year. Yeah, I feel like the two movies that really like jumped out to me this year were West Side Story and Dune as well. Dune is just like, I did see that in the theater and it's like, you just felt like you were there. Like it was a transportive, I don't think that's a word, but I'm going to say it again, transportive sort of experience (laughs) where I was just like, I am in Dune land. I feel the sand in my eyebrows. Like it just was like so powerful and the sound design and the production design and Villeneuve is just like, such a good visionary filmmaker. And so I loved that. I actually really loved Licorice Pizza too. Um, I'm curious what we think about that movie in five years, but I think it's such a like fun, magical, weird, subversive, like hangout movie that, and it's Paul Thomas Anderson, right? Who's so awesome. And you know, that's another thing about this Oscar. You know, you have like a Joel Cohen nominated movie. You have Steven Spielberg, you have Paul Thomas Anderson, you have Jane Campion, you know, so many great filmmakers, like directors, 
are there kind of making films. And that's what was fun about it for this, me this year. It's it's true. There was a lot of like really great craft on display, like a lot of the craft awards that Dune won all of. Um, and that kind of bummed me out a little bit. Um, I love Dune, to be clear. I was like an evangelist for that movie when I saw it in an IMAX. Um, but uh, like every time one of the craft awards was up, whether it was like cinematography or editing or production design or costuming, like they'd show all the nominees and I'd be like, yeah, all, all of those are great. Like pretty much anybody can win this category and I'm not going to feel like it's weird. <laughs> like like this is this is a really like really, really great work was done across the board here, you know? Yeah, it's it's really and it's cool for a blockbuster film for a reboot to have that level of like craftsmanship to it. Okay, so let me ask you this. What was the win that excited you the most? Did you have one that really excited you? Um I was really excited that Belfast won um original screenplay. I thought it was a dark horse for best picture. I thought it was definitely the best thing that that Kenneth Branagh has ever made. Um Obviously, it's really, really close to his heart as it's semi-autobiographical, but the tenderness of that story and seeing him get up on stage and like to see people like relate to your story that well, I felt like really moved by by this guy that's made all kinds of things. It has an acting career and done all right. sorts of Shakespeare and like, you know, and it was really his first ele- win, right? Wasn't elevated, it his first yeah. film? It, it said he, he'd been nominated like eight times or something yeah, in, I mean, like, this- in like various categories, right? And he's directed on stage in England. Like he, th- this is this is not some guy you've never heard of, right? Like Kenneth Branagh is like an established guy, yeah, and, legend. And to like win a writing award for this thing he wrote during COVID about this town he grew up in that he loves, that is a very bittersweet place in his heart, a lot of people's heart, and it's like a complicated thing. And to have all of your peers be like, hey, this thing you wrote that's so personal to you is really resonant with us. Like I was so happy for him. All right, you want to know my win that excited me the most? I absolutely do. Uh, we are 15 minutes into this podcast, and we have not mentioned Will Smith yet. <laughs> and let's be honest, this is the Will Smith Oscars, right? Like, that's what we're going to remember this. Like I said, oh, what will we think of Best Picture? I have no idea what we'll think of Best Picture yeah. five years from now. What I know we will think of is Will Smith. That right. is what the story of this podcast, I mean, this Oscar is. And what was interesting is, like, going into tonight, I was like, okay, this will be, like, the crowning of Will Smith. Like, I really hope that happens. We never crown movie stars. Like, Harrison Ford, my guy, never won an Oscar. It feels like a crime. How have there been, you know, 50 years of his acting, and we've never given him an Oscar? And so Will Smith, one of the best movie stars we ever have, we give him an Oscar, and that's not what he's going to be remembered for. (laughs) He's not going to be remembered for winning an Oscar. He's going to be remembered for punching Chris Rock. What were you thinking in that moment? Like describe to me what you're thinking, what's going on in your mind. It almost played like a bit at first. And then when you realize it's not, did you think it was a bit when he walked up on stage? I thought it was a bit because that's like a kind of a standard bit is like the host making fun of somebody and then like looking like extra angry or like Ricky Gervais used to do a thing where he would like try to take like Emmy awards from Steve Carell um, for the office and like Steve would act all angry like those bits I've seen before so him coming up on stage I was like oh this is gonna be like a bit and then the sound cut out and I was like oh this isn't a bit dude the second he walked up on stage I was like this is real and I turned to my wife and I was like no this is happening she's like no it's like a joke I was like no it's happening and then the sound just cut off the like camera glitched 
I guess in like the, the, like Japanese uh, uh, telecast, they actually showed the full thing. You can find it on Twitter. But man, I mean, I just knew he was stepping up there, and I was like, dude, that dude is not messing around. And like, I read about it, and Jada Pinkett Smith uh, has alopecia, and so that's the reason that she shaved her head. Right. And so for Chris Rock, who notoriously is like a savage takedown guy with like no holds barred, but like Will Smith just went up there, and I was like. He just punched him in the mouth, like right there. And what was so crazy is his whole acceptance speech, instead of becoming the culmination of his career, kind of becomes this weird, like, quasi apology for punching Chris Walk, but also, like, not really an apology at all because the first thing he says was Richard uh, Williams defended his family, you know, yeah. and he, he, that's his first line out of his mouth. And the whole place is like, oh, snap! Like, the whole auditorium is like that. <laughs> Yeah, well, I was I was sitting there like thinking about it and I was like, Will Smith is like a a fairly measured person. If you've ever seen him in interviews, he's not Kanye. Right. Maybe like emotional or excitable, but like he's like a measured, fairly thoughtful guy, especially when he's in front of an audience. You know, I don't know him. I don't know him personally. Right. But like we've seen enough of Will Smith in public to know like, okay, this isn't someone that's going to like fly off the handle and do weird stuff. No, he's handled his whole life. So, I mean, he grew up from hip hop star to TV star to movie star, and he's handled every interview, everything in his life so well. And arguably he did tonight. He, he knew he was at the center of attention, right? Like, right. (laughs) Another weird thing that I'd just like to highlight for a moment was all the celebrities were sitting at like tables and these little like pod things. Yeah. And then the rest of the normal people were like sitting in whatever else. <laughs> but in all the pods, Will Smith was at the center of the room. Like he was freaking right there. And right. So the whole night, the camera kept coming on him. He knew the eyes of the world were on him. Right. But it was just that moment of like, no way. Like, like I think he looked at his wife's eyes. He looked at what happened to him. And he was like, I'm not a movie star in this moment. I'm a man. And he just stepped up on stage and like, right. I don't know, man. I'm so curious. I mean, I'm, I'm curious too. And it's obviously a lot of, a lot of speculation. He, there's been a lot written about their marriage and what that is, is like. And they have sort of a unique arrangement in their, in their marriage. And, um, Regina Hall took a shot at that at the opening of the show. Oh, right. I was sitting there probably like five minutes after the moment happened where he punches Chris Rock, just being like, why would Will Smith do this? He doesn't do these things, right? I, I wonder if the compounding of like the double joke, if it felt like everyone's coming for my wife tonight, I have to do something, right? Like yeah. I'm a good man and I love her. I, I, I have, what does a good man do? Clearly not what he did. And I sound like I'm like defending him. I think that was like a thousand percent the wrong move, right? And then you see him up there half an hour later trying to come to grips with what do you do in a in a terrible situation when you've made a mistake, right? That's what made it so great though, right? And that's because what made it like, so great. Because like if who if Javier Bardem wins the speech and one Will Smith is just sitting there like, oh my gosh, this is the worst night of my life. But right. it's this weird he, like best of times, worst of times, right. because again, it's the culmination of his life. And, and he, that dude is crying. I mean, it is just tears streaming down his face. Also, there's this weird moment in the telecast where it started cutting to like Oscar's card right there. And it like right. it was supposed to cut away to the Williams and then it's cutting away to the Oscar's card. And I think the live producers were just like losing it. Like, I mean, right. 
C minus to the producers of this show. They were just kind of like, ah, it's been <laughs> it's been about five years since we've done a real Oscar show. How does this work again? Like they would seem kind of lost. I'm yeah. sure they're great and love their family, but like they <laughs> they just seem kind of lost. You have like a whole whole list of stuff. And for me, what was the greatest moment of the telecast? To me, that was it. Was Will yeah. like that's like a few questions from now, but like Will Smith's this speech to to me is like because what you were saying is like let's say Javier Bardem wins or you know a. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch wins, right? Like, right. they get to have their Oscar-winning moment, right? But then a week from now, Will Smith is going to have to get on Jimmy Kimmel or something and, like, talk about it. And then it's this weird quasi-PR thing, right, of, of, like, how do I rebuild an image? And we had to watch him do it in real time, which somehow makes it, like, more genuine or more... Well, for sure, compelling. For sure, like, you're gripped. Just completely gripping. Uh, just, like, a fascinating story of, like, what does it mean to make the right moral choices? And I, I, to, to me, that was what his, what his speech was about, was, like, how do you do the right thing? And I clearly didn't, and I'm sorry for the Academy. But also, like, you could see him half apologizing. But he, but he never apologizes, right? Like, he, one, nobody mentions Chris Rock's name. The rest of the night, Chris Rock is like Voldemort. Like Amy Schumer comes out and makes a joke, but no right. one actually says Chris Rock, especially Will Smith, which I thought was a really interesting choice. It was interesting that he like never addressed it directly because to me, he was trying to walk this line of like in this moment, like he was also trying to like honor Richard Williams and the Williams sisters and the people who made this movie. And like I almost saw him like in moments where he was leaning too close to like actually addressing the moment of being like, I'm detracting from other people's contributions and success here and this is like a win for a lot of people and i'm and, and like almost even trying to balance like what am i making this moment about and how do i do the right thing well yeah and even for the oscars himself right like a few years ago two three years ago oscars are so white is trending and right. like that almost gets the oscars canceled and, and rightfully so like the oscars are like man there were so many great like it was the year one of the years us came out and like all these incredible you know, performances from black men and black women and they're like not being nominated. And so this was like, you know, not the first black man to ever win it. Like there's been others, but like it's a big, big moment. And for Will Smith and for the Williams family who like are legendary tennis players, so much there. And then it becomes right <laughs> about something more, which is fascinating. Which if you watch um, King Richard about the movie, the, he, like he was saying in his speech about art imitating life, like. That is so much about what the character conflict in that movie is about of when is Richard Williams's like bravado and desire to protect his family a hindrance. And when is he now doing the wrong thing because he's trying to do the right thing? Absolutely. Is Absolutely. what that movie is about. <laughs> right. Is and, like, and Will Smith like lives it in real time. It's it's crazy. It's um, so, so fascinating. Last last bit on that is I want to know who Denzel Washington is behind closed doors in Hollywood because Will Smith drops his name there of like, Hey, when the cameras cut and we were in commercial, he came over to me and said like, the devil comes for you at your highest moment. And a year ago or two years ago, Chadwick Boseman talks about how like Denzel Washington anonymously puts him through college. What is Denzel Washington doing when no one's looking? It seems like he's just like, is he this like the best guy on the planet? Like, what is there, happening? Yeah, on our on our Facebook page, I posted about like Tom Hanks like photobombing weddings, and like that's cute. But it seems like Denzel Washington is like a real American hero who is just doing like so many things. And you know, like I mean, there's a fraternity there with like 
these young black actors that Denzel Washington is watching grow up and really feels fatherly towards. Like that that was the again, like getting super meta, but King Richard is also all about a father, but it felt like Denzel Washington is acting really fatherly towards him and the camera cuts to him in that moment and it's just yeah. like and even when they show the Macbeth thing in that moment and uh it's like denzel washington is the coolest man in the room right and i and i agree like i would read the book i want to read the think piece the bio whatever else of like what is happening with denzel washington because he's fascinating right agreed all right next next question okay we got to keep moving uh i also put um what was the worst moment of the telecast? Did you have any moments that really stood out to you? Like, oh, what is happening right now? Well, I was thinking, like, we should do, like, a top ten of, like, what were all the moments that the producers tried to make the Oscars cooler? What was the top three that bombed? Because I felt like some of them were actually kind of neat and some of them were just, like, no good. Uh, but the Twitter top fives, uh, those can go walk the game plank. Um, those are driving me nuts. Yeah, those were weird. Like, so I'm watching with my kids, which is really interesting. Yeah. Because they've seen, they have not seen The Power of the Dog. They have not seen Licorice Pizza. They haven't seen, you know, pretty much most of these movies. So it was cool to try to, like, engage them in. I just didn't like the way that they did it. I agree. The top five things were weird. Um, and it was, it was obvious that, like, not to, like, throw shade on any particular movie or group of fans, but it was pretty obvious that the, like, Zack Snyder army came out on Twitter for those things. Because the things that were winning, number one, were two Zack Snyder movies of, like, moments that, like, no one's talking about. They're, like, no. not huge pop culture moments. Like, the, like, biggest cheer moment being when The Flash runs really fast in the Justice League beating, like, the moment in Avengers Endgame when everyone shows up. It's like, that's just not real, right? Like... That does not represent the population in any way. So I got like, so upset at that. I was like, I was like, that's the worst moment in the Justice League, which I kind of liked-ish. The Zack Snyder Justice League. It's uh, it's a more coherent movie for sure. Yeah, like that's why there's a lot of trepidation, but I sort of liked it. But what the Flash going super slow is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Where it's like he's the Flash. The whole point is he goes fast. And the cheer moment is that he's, like, running super slow, but it's fast. It's so dumb, man. I agree. That was garbage. So so th th there was, like, to me, as far as the worst moments of the telecast, to me, it was, like, a compounding of things that they were obviously trying to do to, like, make the Oscars more like the Grammys, which is, like, these fun performances that people like. So the, like, remix of We Don't Talk About Bruno was just horrible. And uh, like, Dude, why it do was that? really, really bad. First of all, really bad. We don't talk about Bruno was not nominated as we, noted in our Encanto episode, which is bonkers. And yeah. And then they like brought it in there and it was like all shot at the audience and it was like off key. Like everyone seemed off key and the choreography was really goofy. And like my, my dot, my five-year-old daughter was like, this is a travesty. She was like, so up. Like it was, I think it was supposed to cater towards her, but she was so upset as that's happening. Yeah. Like there was no, like just, if you, if you want to do the song, like just do the song, like just do it as a fun, big musical number. You don't need to turn it into like, what do the cool kids like these days? Let's like make it hip hop, which is also what they did during the Godfather tribute is they do a tribute to the Godfather and then overplay like a hip hop track over the Godfather, which was like, you're just trying to make it in quotes cooler and you're not. Like, just love the thing for what it is and honor the thing. Like, what what is happening here? That Godfather with, like, auto-tune and hip-hop and whatever was happening. And Godfather, which is the greatest film ever made. 
so good. And it's just, I was like, I was like, what is that? I was like, oh, cool. They're honoring the Godfather. And then like 30 seconds into it, I was like, please, please just end. Make this end. Right. It seemed like they were taking a lot of swings in order to try and like, how do we make the Oscars relevant? And I feel like most of the swings were in the wrong direction. On the upside, the one thing that I did think, oh, this is cool, was um, on like the flip side of like the Godfather tribute, I really did think the Bond tribute was cool. There were like six I years of so Bond. Too. And so they edited just like a really great snippet of Bond. And like Bond wasn't really up for anything, but it was it was like, hey, how, how do we take a popular franchise that does a, uh, appeal to more of the population and like put it in the telecast to make this more marketable, yeah. right? Well, but I was like, that's a how celebration you do it. of movies, right? Right. Like, make make po- it an honest to God celebration of movies. Don't. You know, they they used the best Bond song of all time written by Paul McCartney, right? It was just it was a great Bond montage versus the thing that they do with The Godfather was like, let's try to take this classic piece of cinema and then cool it up for the kids. And I was like, which it felt like a lot of the other moments were that. And I was like, get rid of this stuff and just celebrate movies. I did like the anniversary stuff. Like, I loved having the Pulp Fiction, like John Travolta and Samuel Jackson and Uma Thurman come out and do that yeah, it was whole fun. thing. Like, like that was fun. I like even the white men can't jump. Like everyone coming out and so and and then seeing Francis Ford Coppola and Al Pacino and Robert De Niro on stage. I'm like, these are legends. Like that was so great. Yeah. So all that stuff really worked well for me. But yeah, it was like, I don't know. It was like there's so many things that I was like, oh, this was good, and then they kind of like messed it up a little bit. Um, and so God bless him. I don't know what I would have done if I produced the Oscars. I just run a podcast, but I, I still think they can do better. I still think they can do better. I agree. I actually have a very specific take about what they can do better, but that brings us to the next category. Yeah. Okay. Tell me, what does that take? So, um, the last category, right. Of, of the night is what is, what was the meaning of the 2022 Oscars? That's it. I do think the meaning of the 2022 Oscars is going to be what's the deal with Will Smith. But if we put that aside for a second... Um, I think this has been the debate with the Oscars for the past like five years is ratings are dropping. And so every time you see someone interviewed about like what to do with the Oscars, they're saying like, we're just throwing stuff at a wall at this point and trying to see like, how do we get people to watch Are movies relevant? Are the Oscars relevant? Like everyone's just trying to figure out what's happening. And what I saw them doing in this telecast was literally throwing everything at the wall to be like, how can we try and make this award show about prestigious movies more palatable and marketable to fans of everyday American cinema? Right. <laughs> and I think the answer to that is you've got to nominate things that are great American cinema and not only kind of fringe things now that doesn't mean that i don't want to see fringe things like coda and belfast get recognized because they're beautiful amazing works haven't seen coda but like belfast is a small tiny film loved it yeah but like we talked about a little bit on the spider-man episode like spider-man no way home in my mind is hands down one of the top 10 best pictures of the year it was one of the best movies of this year but because it's a superhero movie like it's not prestigious enough And to me, that was one of my disappointments of it was I felt like Dune winning all of the craft awards and beating out other really great movie craft because Dune was kind of the most prestigious of the blockbusters in some of these special effects categories or editing categories. Um, It was the biggest, most prestigious film beating out great editing like in um, 
Tick, Tick, Boom has masterful, masterful editing. Um, and Dune kind of sweeps that whole thing. And in my mind, not because it's not deserving. It's a wonderful, wonderful movie. Yeah. Easily one of the top five films of the year. Definitely in the top ten, right? But yeah. it felt like what I was watching, what we have been watching the past few years, is is how do we recognize the most prestigious movies? And that doesn't necessarily always mean the like best, most well-told stories, which is kind of how I felt like West Side Story got snubbed, even though it definitely fits into the prestigious category. Um, and so it felt like they were trying to do everything else to like kind of coat the Oscars and like, look, we're recognizing all the fun that movies are by at least talking about them, but we're not going to award any of them. And I, I think that just doesn't work. Like you've got to, you know, award the things that are great. Um, don't award garbage, you know, just because it's a blockbuster doesn't mean it's award worthy. These aren't the people's choice awards. But when someone makes a wonderful film like Gladiator or Titanic that like everyone loves and everyone goes to see, like don't sleep on it just because it's not prestigious. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really well said. Uh, Bill Simmons, who runs like the Ringer and the Rewatchables podcast, he has this take, which I think is really smart, which is like we should actually award the Oscars five years after the year so it's like we should just now being doing the 2017 oscars because now we have enough hindsight to know like what should have won in 2017 right and in 2027 is when we should be doing 2022 because the truth is like there's so many movies like the king's speech that i mentioned earlier or the artist or these movies that like (laughs) win best picture green book and then we just forget about them like a few years later and and they're prestigious but they're actually like forgotten and even not very good um i do think coda is like good i don't think it'll be forgotten but it's not like a i don't i want to say it's not a great film like it's not an absolute slam dunk masterpiece in the way that west side story is honestly like as far as like a testament of filmmaking like it makes you feel really really good the problem is like streaming has changed everything you know there used to be hundred million dollar movies that like a few good men and movies like, you know, Goodfellas and these different movies that were like, hey, they're really well respected, but they're also doing big business in the box office. So people know them. Now it's like not like that. It's like Belfast. How many people have seen that movie, you know, compared right. to uh, Free Guy? <laughs> like, And it's always been like that, but it's so much more compounded now because what's making the Cineplexes is superhero movies and big, like, you know, fun blockbustery stuff. And then these random streaming movies that all of a sudden you're there are, like, out there. Um, right. And, and like you are saying with, like, the budgets, like you mentioned, like, a $100,000 budget. Like, back, say, 15 years ago, pre-streaming for sure, there was a lot of movies out there that got, like, $70 million budgets, right? Not huge budgets, not blockbuster money, but, like, decent money, right? Yeah. Enough money to make a good, solid movie with a lot of really great craft, pay really good people to do great work. And now with what you have to do in order to win at the box office of the blockbuster, blockbusters used to be like 150 million, right? Now you'll drop like a half billion dollars on a blockbuster when it comes like down to it, right? Like certain certain Marvel films are are, are getting like $250 million budget, $300 million budgets. You double that on, on marketing and, and that leaves no room for like, a couple other $70 million movies, right? Right. Like you, and so all of the, the like indie movies or the non blockbusters, not even indies, there's just like no space in the middle. 
um, are, are, are getting like $15 million budgets, right? They're like really small stuff that then doesn't get huge releases. So we're only seeing blockbusters um, hitting the big things like that great middle zone for movies like, you know, like a, I'm trying to think like even even like a Dune that isn't like a rip roaring thrill ride, but is a great crowd pleasing movie with a good story. There's just not a lot of that happening. Well, and for me, that's the meaning of the Oscars. It's why I still hold to them. It's why I'm like, Andrew, we need to do a podcast. Because what I love about the Oscars is it makes us stop and pause and watch movies that we may not have. Like, I don't know if I would have like rushed to watch West Side Story. I don't know if I would have rushed to watch Coda, you know, these different movies. But I was like, I got nominated for Best Picture. I should see that. I talked to different friends who were like, okay, what are the Best Picture nominees do I need to see? And it just does what we're doing here, which is create a dialogue around it. Right. But I think why that dialogue matters is because we do need to find different ways to elevate films that are not the big tentpole, you know, Harry Potter, Marvel movies, whatever else. And I, and I love those movies, but like For sure. there is something about these stories with a soul. And that's what the Oscars is. And I think that's what it continues to mean to me. Um but bottom line, this is the Will Smith Oscar. I think that's my last thing. It's like, it really is. The, it, the Warren Beatty uh, La La Land moment is the only thing that I in my lifetime that I can remember watching that like holds a can. And that was crazier. That Warren Beatty La La Land versus Moonlight. And right. Like, Announcing the wrong mo- movie, getting but, the whole cast up on stage and then switching who wins. And they're like, uh, <laughs> that was bananas. That was this, bananas. But that was at the end of that telecast and they just kind of end. What made this so interesting is it's like, I don't know what it was, but like two thirds of the way through and the last third when all the big awards are going, there's just this cloud hanging over the telecast. And that's the meaning of this year's Oscars. That's what we'll always remember. Absolutely. Well, awesome, Andrew. Thanks for jumping on Instant Podcast. Uh, Appreciate you all listening. Uh, Remember to like, review, subscribe, and we'll do a real movie next time, I promise. Until then, we'll see you next time on The Meaning of the Movie.